The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host, and I'm so glad you decided to join us yet again this week. Uh, We've got a great show for you. First of all, a couple of housekeeping items. I want to thank once again my dear friend Nick Galletti for letting us use his interview in last week's show since we were unable to record due to travel. Nick is such a good guy, and if you're not listening to LDS Mission Cast, his podcast, you are missing out. Check it out wherever you're getting this podcast. It's LDS Mission Cast. Uh, also, I want to thank those of you who reached out and emailed this past week. Thank you so much. Uh, we had a couple of people who um, emailed uh, looking to be guests on the show. We love it. it. It's wonderful. So if if you think you would be a good guest on the show, please reach out to me. Or if you know someone who would, or even if you don't know them, but you have a suggestion, and we'll see if we can track those people down. I love your suggestions. It's uh, Sean at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. Love suggestions for guests. You can also reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, whatever it is. Um, In addition, uh, that reminds me of saying, talking about Facebook, we started finding, uh, you know, a lot of you follow us on Facebook and we so appreciate it. And that's where we do a lot of our updates. We, we found out that a lot of people aren't seeing our posts, and that's because we as a page are viewed by Facebook as a business. And Facebook is always asking, do you want to promote this post? Are you trying to sell something? Are you hiring someone? And since we don't spend the money, since I, there's no revenue to the show, we don't spend the money to uh, boost advertising on our posts. Uh, as a result, uh, they throttle who sees it. And so we are actually going to be changing our Facebook a little bit. Rather than being a page, we're going to switch over to a group. And so just if you're a Facebook follower of ours, keep an eye out for that. And we'll make that change over. If you join our group, you should be able to see everything. Okay, enough of the business. On to this week's conversation. My guest this week, Tyson Abaroa, he's another one who reached out to me about his book called The Fattest Mormon. I was so intrigued. He sent me a free copy of it. I read it. It's fantastic. We're going to talk all about it, as well as Tyson's just fascinating life. Such a good guy. I'm so, so glad we got to chat. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you about a dear friend who wasn't afraid to open his mouth, even though he wasn't sure why. So it's going to be a great show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. My guest today is an author who I actually discussed earlier on uh, another episode Uh, He reached out to me to tell me about his book, which is called The Fattest Mormon, uh, to which I took a little bit of umbrage, sometimes feeling like I am the fattest Mormon. (laughs) But my guest today is going to tell us all about it, Tyson Abaroa. Tyson, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. So glad to have you on. And uh, Tyson, tell us where we're recording this from, where you are. All right. I am in Santan Valley, Arizona, which is about... 40 miles outside of Phoenix, next to Gilbert and Mesa. 
Well, you are our second Arizona guest, and in fact, our first Arizona guest, you're in a writing group. Yes, uh, we together. we are in a chapter of American Night Writers Association together, so it was really cool to hear him uh, when he was on. Yeah, and that is the middle-aged Mormon himself, so that was a, a fun episode. So, um, oh, I should say Brad McBride. He doesn't only go by the middle-aged Mormon, but uh, yeah, Brad McBride was a guest. So you guys are in the same writing group. So tell us, first of all, how did you get started in writing? Um, well, I think it's my ADHD. Um, I can't focus on anything <laughs> that you're supposed to anyway. So I'm, sometimes I just get an idea and just start exploring it. But it it really wasn't until I think just within the last two years that I decided to kind of explore that and see where it'll take me. So to actually turn the HD around ADHD around on itself and see if I can use it for myself. So I have a lot of friends with ADHD. I'm, I don't know that I'm, I think I'm too old for the H anymore, but I am definitely ADD. Most of my ADHD friends have about 25 books that they've started and written three pages of. <laughs> so how did you, first of all, did, did you know that you wanted to be a writer when you were a kid or did this come to you later? Um, no, I'd never really thought of it as a kid. Uh, I had tried it on my first deployment in the Marine Corps um, and then did small things here and there throughout the years. And then it, it actually took someone at my work getting fired. Um, I worked for USA BMX and we basically put on bike races across the country. We sanctioned yeah. races. We wow. have a membership magazine that uh, somebody got themselves fired in a spectacular fashion. And uh, <laughs> there was some need for some content. So I reached out to our editor and said, Hey, I, I can write down some stuff that I can, I can do some things and I'll even sign myself up for a creative writing class. And, uh, that was, and I, I'm not a college graduate. So mm. that was the first class I had ever taken where I actually wanted to write well every to every other class i've ever done is just um i'm writing what you're telling me to write and yeah, so i'm gonna do had some motivation right yeah and and i actually really enjoyed it and started thinking seriously about actually writing well let's let's go back a little bit in your life uh and go back to the now you your self-proclaimed adhd that's not only now but also on your on your uh website <clears throat> that's um, correct so that's obviously a thing for you. Um, is is that something you knew about when you were a kid? Uh, no, I had no idea. So, some people make it through life because someone else is organizing them. Um, so my mom was very organized. And then I went into the Marine Corps and they're kind of organized. And my wife is really organized. So for the longest time, I never actually put it together. I thought I was just lazy and unfocused. Um <laughs> But again, just a couple years ago, when I was called to be an elders quorum president, I was having the hardest time keeping things together. And, and I was praying one night and I just finally asked, I was, said, Heavenly Father, what is wrong with me? And then there's only been like two times in my life when I've actually felt a voice and the voice just asked me back. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Hmm. And wow. then it started, and that may sound kind of mean, maybe to other people, but the spirit, um, it's just what it said. And I kind of started exploring that. And yes, it's self-proclaimed. Uh, 
with enough study, I was like, I think this is the problem. And that's kind of all I needed. But, uh, yeah. so I've never actually gone to a doctor. Um, but so many actual things that I had found match so much of my problem that I was like, okay, well now that I have a solution or now that I know what the problem is, I can research some more solutions on what I need to do. And mm. it's helped. Yeah, we've had we've had a couple of guests that have talked about their ADD or ADHD and how they use it, kind of use it as a positive. You know how they how they leverage it. So, when you were a kid, did you grow up in Arizona? I grew up in Arizona, so I was born in Provo. I'm I'm probably one of your few guests that was in Utah and then went somewhere else. Yeah. I, I was only two, so my parents took me out of Zion and brought me down here. That's actually pretty common. My my wife is a Provo baby. There are a lot of, you know, uh, couples meet and then she grew up in California. But uh, but as long as you can remember you were in Arizona. It, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I grew up here. So not a not a Arizona product, but definitely raised. And this, this is yeah. just where everything is for me. It's it's in your blood. That's it. And and is your uh, were you did you grow up? As a member of the church or as your family, all members of the church? I did. Yeah. So uh, nine, 12 generations on one side and two generations on the other. So it's a really cool perspective to look at pioneers and then like modern pioneers. Yeah, it's awesome. And you served a mission somewhere very close to where is near and dear to my heart. Tell us where you served your mission. So I served my mission in Chile, Santiago East. Um under Brad Wilcox. So no kidding. Brad Wilcox was your mission president. Yes. And that was actually, I think that was more of an answer to my mom's prayer than anything else, because I wasn't going to go on a mission. Um, so I had, when I was right after high school, I joined the, the Marine Corps as a reservist, went to Iraq and then came back. And it would have been the time that everyone else is really looking at getting ready for a mission. And, um, I didn't, and growing up, I'd always wanted to go on a mission. Yeah. But then getting back, I, you know, just felt, you know, I think, I think being in the Marines is my thing. And this, this might be what I, I do. But then I was, so I, I actually went straight into the singles ward. I just told everyone, Hey, I'm going to the singles ward. I'm not hanging around in my family ward. And I wasn't even, I was just turned 19 and, uh, at, uh, one of stupid me, the, uh, fast and testimony meetings, I got up and, and I bore my testimony and then state president was there and he (laughs) called me in the next week and he said, Hey, most profound revelation that I've had in, in this calling is for you to go on a mission. Wow. You you uh, can't argue with that. No, you can't argue with that because the, my first thought was, well, have I been sustaining this guy for the last eight years or not? So I wow, said, Wow, that is great perspective. So I said, Okay, just let's make this quick. I don't want to wait for three months. Like, I just, if this is the thing, then I need to go and I need to go now. So it was, I was a unique person at the time. Um, you know, a 19 year old, and you're already a quote unquote veteran. So my yeah. mom, my mom was really praying that I would get a good mission president. And she actually grew up with Brad Wilcox. She went to high school with him. Oh, no kidding. And he took so, her to prom so and everything. 
So your mission president took your mom to prom? Yes. Okay, that is something you don't hear too often. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. For, for our guests, for for our listeners who who don't know Brad Wilcox, Brad is one of the most respected speakers, first of all, uh, but also a well-known author. His books are incredible. And, you know, I do a fair amount of um, speaking myself and I've gotten to speak with Brad a few times and and we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the years. And I will say there is no one I would rather hear speak than Brad Wilcox. Such an amazing man. And I'm a little jealous that you got to have him as a mission president. That's amazing. It was awesome. The funny part is... Um, on our trips up to see our, my grandparents in Utah, uh, we only listened to John, by the way. And my mom tried to, <laughs> she tried a Brad Wilcox talk once. And, um, I was like, this guy's weird. Put on John, by the way. <laughs> have you told Brad that? No, I don't think I ever have. So, <laughs> but, uh, the, the funny point, and then you get on your mission and he's your, your president. You're like, when's the next time I can see him? Can I please see president Wilcox again? Yeah, he just and if you ever get a chance uh, to our listeners to to see Brad Wilcox speak in person, it'll change your life. I saw him when I was sixteen, actually, first time, uh, almost thirty years ago. He's in- incredible. Now, I didn't realize, you know, I read your bio, and and uh, by the way, Tyson and I have never met before in person. We still haven't. We're doing this uh, uh, over computer, but. Um, but when I read your bio, I didn't realize that you had gone into the military prior to, I guess I just made the wrong assumption that you had gone in the military after. Tell us uh, about your dis- dis- uh, decision to go into the military. Uh, well, a recruiter called me between my junior and senior year, and uh, it was a Marine Corps recruiter. And I had all, all the intention of just you know getting a job and then going on my mission. And he called me, said, hey... Uh, have you ever thought about the Marine Corps? I see you're planning on going on a mission. And that is kind of a weird way to open up a discussion. (laughs) So I said, well, yeah, that is the plan. He said, well, did you know that if you join the Marine Corps reserves, you can still go on your mission? And I thought, well, that's something to think about. He said, why don't you come to the office tomorrow? So I came, I went in, he, uh, he gave me the spiel and I was actually, the spirit was, kind of strong, um, talking to me, um, or actually what I was feeling, not really saying anything. Um, and then, you know, made the decision, talked to my parents, talked to my parents and my mom was not happy. So I was 17 at the time. So I couldn't actually do this on my own. I had to, Oh, they had to sign for it. They did. And this was July, 2001. So mm. this was before September 11th and everything. And um, then, so yeah, end of July, went to the recruiting op- or went to the uh, uh, processing station and joined the Marine Corps. Just had to wait a year, graduate. And yeah. two weeks after graduation, I went to boot camp. So, so you went to boot camp. How, how long were you in the Marines before you went to Iraq? So that was that was basically right off. I went to boot camp in uh, MCRD San Diego, and then to Marine Combat Training in Camp uh, Pendleton, and then at Fort Lee did my job training, which was a bulk fuel specialist. It's as boring as it sounds. Yeah, what is a bulk fuel specialist? So uh, I guess the best to kind of let you know once I get to the Iraq phase. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but gotcha. Um, 
So I came home in December from Fort Lee from uh, fuel training and then checked in at my reserve unit in January. And my first drill, they said, Hey, we're getting, uh, we're getting activated and we're, we're going overseas. Wow. How did so your mom I, deal with that? She, well, she was not very happy. <laughs> yeah. She was I mean, kicking herself overseas. for sight. Yeah. I think there's a difference between you're going overseas and you're going to Iraq. Yeah. Which we couldn't really talk about at the time, but there, it was a no brainer. Anybody who wore a uniform at the time, you're going to Kuwait because there was no Iraq just yet. Um, yeah. And so we went to camp, went, I went back to camp Pendleton with the unit. We geared up and a few weeks later I was in Kuwait. Uh, oh. February 9th, because I and I remember that date because I that's when I cracked open my uh, gas mask canister and wrote it down. <laughs> so that's and that's just a, a date you always remember is, you know, who doesn't remember uh, when they open their gas mask canister? I, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> All right, I don't I didn't have that experience. I wasn't I wasn't good enough to go to the military. But what uh, how did you know, we, we've had on. uh we had on a, a Damon Holsey who was uh, a vet uh, who served in Afghanistan, and he talked about how his faith, how being deployed affected his faith. How about for you? How did being deployed affect your faith? Um, there was so much I learned. Uh, had I not been in the military, I would not have been ready for my mission. Um, and even then, the mission is there was still so much to learn there too, but I would not have been ready. I wouldn't have had a, uh, any type of work ethic ready for it. I'd had some jobs, but just, you know, doing something 24 seven is, yeah. that's where I learned it was in the military. So what were you doing when you were in Iraq? You were saying you're a, a bulk fuel specialist. Yes. So I was part of the six engineer support battalion which included a couple bridge-making units, um, some heavy equipment, people that built a road. And then we laid down a hose line, which if you're into logistics, what we did was pretty amazing. We basically <laughs> put down a hose from Kuwait about 70 miles into Iraq uh, up to Camp Viper. And then every few miles, we had to have a pump just to keep the pressure going because... 70 miles is a long way for just fuel. So <clears throat> if you're in the military history, um, that's probably one of the more boring parts of the, of the war. But <laughs> I actually find it fascinating. Um, you know, my, my wife's grandfather was actually at Normandy and he ran communication lines. And I was always so fascinated by that. I think that for most of us, I think, think like I do, where when we think about war or we think about deployments overseas, you know, we don't think about all of the things that go into it. I mean, all the little things and, and, you know, energy and, and fuel and all these types of things. How long were you in Iraq? So I was, I was really only in about three months. Um, what I did was, um, we, we put in the fuel line and then, uh, me and some other people, we moved up to another resupply point where uh, I think, if I understand right, the Iraqis had tried to stage an ambush against the Marines, and it didn't go well for them. And so all their mm. fortifications were still there. So 
some general decided to put down a uh, resupply point right there. So um, it was right along some canal. And so you could recent the, we had water people there cleaning up the water and um, convoys come through, could get water, they could get fuel, they could get MREs. If there was something wrong with the vehicle, there was a, a motor bay there. So it was, gotcha. it was pretty large. And then from there, um, Baghdad had fallen and it was time to start regressing and yeah. headed home. Did you come, did you come back to the States then after that? Well, it was, there was so much going on that, uh, it took another few months. We, we left Iraq, we waited in Kuwait for another maybe month and a half and then got to come home. Wow. So Amazing. overall it was about probably seven months from the day of hearing were activated to, to getting home. I think that, that was sometime in July. So, so I got to think, you know, I mean, I remember talking to my, I, I, you know, kind of, I, I went to high school, whatever. And then I had odd jobs. I worked at the mall, you know, and then I went on my mission and I remember talking, that was most of my mission companions. They either did a year of school or a year of working for their dad or whatever. Was it pretty cool when people would say, yeah, I had a really cool job and I did, you know, I, I did whatever. I worked at a pizza place. It was awesome. And then you said, uh, yeah, actually I was laying fuel lines in Iraq, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm a little ashamed that I was maybe a little bit boastful about it. <laughs> How could you not be? It's so cool. I mean, because you know. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's cool. I single-handedly invaded country. Um, yeah, I invaded a country, but pizza <laughs> sounds cool too. Um, so you get home from your mission. Where did that take you? Um, well, I was a 19-year-old with a lot of money, and I uh, <laughs> basically just sat around a couple months. Did some did some school. Uh, did just did a few classes. Um, got a part-time job as like a teacher's aide. And then that's when uh, my mission president or not my mission, my state president said, it's time to go on a mission. Yeah. So but when you got home from your mission, where, where did you go after your mission? Um, just finding any job I could, cause like I said, I didn't have any money. So, um, yeah. and then within a couple weeks, I met a pretty girl and we, uh, I'm, I- I'm hoping you're talking about your wife right now. So why don't you I, tell us a little bit about your wife? So what we like to say is uh, we met at a bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so within, Classic Mormon story. <laughs> so within a couple of weeks of getting home, it was my birthday. And um, most of my friends had, before I left, they were all going on their missions. And then I went, I went to Iraq, came home. And then went on a mission. So I, a lot of them I hadn't seen in almost three years, four sure. years. That makes so sense. So one, one friend uh, organized a, a birthday dinner at Texas Roadhouse down here in Mesa. And uh, he talked one of his friends into, into showing up. And there were there were firework, fireworks as she, she walked up. And I was like, hey, uh, you're going to hang out with me for the next, uh, you know, several eternity. <laughs> how quickly how quickly did you know that she was she was going to be the wife i was all in as soon as i met her uh she was a little hesitant at how fast i wanted you know to go i, I just i knew yeah how long have you been married now uh we have been married for just over 11 years yeah and you have 
two daughters. Is that right? Two daughters. Um, I have Paisley who's seven and Violet who is four. So, so now let's, let's get up to, to the book because I'm dying to talk about it. And this is a book that I actually took the time and read the whole thing. You were kind enough to send me a, a Kindle edition of it. And that's what I do all my reading on. It's on the Kindle. And it is such a great book. The book is called The Fattest Mormon. Why don't you give us a synopsis of what The Fattest Mormon is? Well, The Fattest Mormon is a story about Phil Carroll, who uh, he's just a drifter. And the best way he finds to make money is just to do any sort of random competition that he can find. Uh, it starts off with a, a hamburger eating competition. And if you're from Minnesota, it's a, it's a, ju- a, a Juicy Lucy competition. <laughs> All right. Um, he had just finished doing a, a Fargo, North Dakota hill roll where he earned, you know, he, he earned some money and that's just how he lives his life. And he, he finds out about a weight loss competition in Taylor and Snowflake, Arizona and, uh, finds out he has a friend there. So he goes, parks his, uh, his RV on his friend's friend's driveway and, uh, goes from there, meets a trainer who has her own secret reasons for doing it and tries to hustle the the competition. And for the purposes of our podcast, who is his friend married to, or what significance does she have? Um, so his, his friend from his earlier life in California had married a Mormon from Taylor, Arizona. So Taylor, Taylor and Snowflake was, were pioneer towns. And so there's, ton of Mormons there, but most of them, half of them were probably my family. So I grew up going up there and that's the setting. So a lot of Mormons out in that area. And so the character, Phil, his friend is married to a Mormon and that kind of introduces Phil into Mormonism and Mormonism plays kind of a cool role in this. It's kind of woven throughout the entire story. And what I love is it's not, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call it a Mormon story or a Mormon book, but Mormonism certainly plays a, you know, plays a big role in it. And it, Tyson, it is funny. I mean, this is a very funny book. Um, where, where on earth did you get this idea? Well, so after, before my second deployment and after I, I worked at bank of America and, um, I sat around all day and, uh, you know, got a little large. <clears throat> I blamed my wife being pregnant though, because sympathy. You know how it is; they have cravings. Yeah, and, and not a craving from you know the restaurant that's closest to you. It's the one across town, of course. <laughs> so you go get that specific burrito, and you you drive all the way back home, and they only take three bites, and you're like, "Well, I just drove forty five minutes to get this burrito. I'm I'm eating it." <laughs> so I put on a little baby weight and yeah. uh, some ladies that I worked with, they were having a weight loss competition and everybody, I think it was like a $10 buy-in and uh winner got all the money. And this was about, about Christmas time. And so I was thinking, I'm going to get something good for my wife. And I think I'm going to hustle this thing because I know, I know how to lose the weight. Uh, you know, I can run every now and then and go to the gym and sure, um, you're in the military. Of course. I, I may have done some other questionable things like the morning of the way in, I put on sweats and just 
Did you really game this? Did you game this weight loss thing? Yeah. (laughs) Not to mention I'm a man and testosterone does play a good part and against women because I've got more of it. So I, I gamed it, I won it. And that's where I started having the idea of what if there were people like this out there that, that just played competitions like this. How long did it take you to write the book? Uh, well, I say it took about seven years from, from concept to actual it's, it's done. Um, just, it was always in the back of my mind thinking about it. Once I got started taking these creative writing classes though, a uh, year and a half ago, um, I took the right class by the right person and it just unlocked Phil Carroll's voice. And the, the bulk of the writing took about a month and a half. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what did you need to do? I mean, we, we've probably got listeners who think, Hey, I've always wanted to write this book. I think everybody has had that thought. How did you go about publishing and getting the book out? Um, well, there were a lot of tears because the big three Mormon publishers wouldn't, wouldn't accept it. Um, so from there, I just read every article, re- listened to every podcast I could about self-publishing. And um, if you have an idea, two things that you just have to do is hire an editor and hire a cover creator uh, or a cover designer. Uh, your and cover is fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Victorine Liesque, who, who actually did it, um, we butted heads a little at first. Cause I was like, well, I, I kind of want this. And she's like, well, you know, these are kind of what's going on. I'm like, but I really want it. And, um, <laughs> you had to um, take her best work. I, I did. But then I, I kind of gave her a concept of what I was looking for. And then she, she did an amazing job. So you're self-published on this book. I, I am. Yes. It's amazing. Um, it's funny. I will say to our readers, Stick with the book. The first couple of pages are very, very, very detailed about the process of <laughs> eating hamburgers and overeating hamburgers and how you feel when you overeat hamburgers and what happens <laughs> when you overeat hamburgers. And I, I'll admit, Dyson, I got a couple of pages in and I was like, okay, if this is the whole book, we may not make it through. But what's funny is it was intriguing that you started that way and then you just fall in love with the characters. What has been the response from people on the book? Uh, for those that read it, everyone has actually kind of said the same thing. Like it's a rough start because of, because of that. Um, <laughs> I've also, and, and it was, it was meant to be this way. A lot of people don't actually like the main character at first. And well, at uh, first he's not very likable. Uh-huh. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of redeeming. He goes through a, a journey of redemption. I, exactly. Yeah. And, and my editor, uh, Jana Miller, she actually said the same thing. She's like, I don't like this guy. But then I soften <laughs> him up as I go along because I, I want there to be some change in him that, that's visible. Yeah. So what advice do you have for people out there who have a concept for a book? My advice is to find the voice. Um, like I said, once I could find Phil Carroll's voice or how I was going to portray him. That's when everything took off. It was originally just going to be third person. And I was just going to tell you what Phil was doing, but that just wasn't working. And I switched it up on 
after seeing um, a YouTube video by, I think her name's Amy Tan. She, she wrote the joy luck club oh, and yeah. somebody had asked her if she would ever do a character, a main character. That's a man. And she said, yeah, I, I could, I think I could do it well, but why would I? Because I, these are my stories that I have to tell. And mm. once she said that, it just clicked. And my, yeah. and, and that was coming from a creative writing class that was actually taught by by a Mormon, like my professor was oh. a Mormon. So that really helped out too. She gave me some clues like, Hey, what if, what if when they say steak president, he's actually thinking a president <laughs> over eating steak. And I was like, well, of course that has to go. In. Well, the book is, the book is really fantastic. And, and like I, I had told you before, I found it very satisfying at the end. It's not, it doesn't end the way I, I expected it to end. And it's a great, Ending, you're a very talented author, and will we see these characters again? Yes. Uh, luckily, I've written book two, um, and I just now need to get it cleaned up, which is the hardest part. And the book is definitely a, um, a comedy book, uh, It's uh, but it's also very touching and, and heartwarming and very real. You know, it's not manufactured. The situations that come about are very real, but there are great engaging characters and people you're cheering for and people you're kind of booing against. And, and I highly recommend it. Uh, it's what is the best way if people want to get a copy of the fattest Mormon, what's the best way for them to buy it? Simplest way is just amazon.com. The fattest Mormon. Um, I warn you if you're into CrossFit or you're from snowflake, Arizona, you, you may not like me after reading this. <laughs> well, I, it's, yeah, so CrossFit and MMA and Judo or uh, Jiu-Jitsu and uh, there's there's a lot to it, but it's a it's a really fun read and and like I said, I I read it mostly. I read the bulk of it. I read for about uh, two and a half hours uh, on a plane and was so enthralled with it, just lost in it that when I got back, I finished it in my hotel room because I just needed to know what was going to happen. So very very well done, Tyson. You you lead a fantastic life. We'll have to have you back on when uh, The Fattest Mormon returns. And uh, I think it's going to be great. Thank you for writing the book. And, and it's Thank just awesome. Me. Well, we, we want to wrap things up the way that we do with all of our guests, which is to ask you, Tyson Abaroa, uh, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Uh, for, for me, I've, I've thought a lot about um, being a fan of your show. I've, I've thought about this question. And it's, you know, there's, there's the church, which you need um, because there's ordinances that you have to have. And it's only through the church you're going to get that. But uh, I'd recently moved and the ward I left was just amazing. And, and my last testimony, I, I had told them, it, it doesn't sound great at first, but I told them, you know what? I didn't need anyone in this ward in order to have a testimony about the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith. Um, that's between me and the Lord. However, every single one of you has really helped me with that testimony. And, and I think that's what it is. It's everybody in it is, is a support from weird people like me who, um, you know, write weird books about Mormons um, to, <laughs> to someone who, who just shows up and, and is, is there to help you share your testimony. It's, it's, it's great to have that support from other people that 
we're all going through different things. And that's actually the book was supposed to be about just being who you are. And if you're weird, you're weird. And then as I'm writing it, I'm going, so many people could fit into a lot of these roles because we're all weird. We're all just kind of trying to make it, but we're all there for each other at the same time. Gosh, what a great answer, Tyson. That's great. It is, uh, you know, I hope that we get to meet in person sometime and because uh, I just love to hear more of your stories. I think it's great. The book is called The Fattest Mormon. Uh, in fact, people can check out your website, too, uh, yeah, which... It's TysonAbaroa.com. Pretty simple. And you've got some funny writings on there as well. So Tyson Abaroa, that's A-B-A-R-O-A. And we will have uh, links on our Facebook page to uh, the book as well as to Tyson's page. And again, check it out. The book is called The Fattest Mormon Tyson. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your Latter-day life with us. Absolutely. Thank you a lot for having me. My thanks to Tyson Abaroa. Uh, what a good, good guy. That was really fun getting a chance to talk to him. And be sure to check out The Fattest Mormon. We will have links for it on all of our social media. Uh, and again, those first couple of pages are very descriptive about eating too many burgers. But I promise you, when you get through it, the rest of it is is so warm and funny and good characters that you're you're just cheering for in the end. So thank you again to Tyson and go check out the book. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, I had just such a great experience. I have a good, good friend whom I've known for many years. And one night he called me uh, about two years ago, called me up and and asked me to come over to his house. And, and we sat down and he shared some very personal things with me that he had been going through. And he said, Sean, I don't know why I'm sharing this. It has nothing to do with you or whatever, but... I just feel the need to share this with you. And they were very personal things. And when we got done, I wasn't sure either. And I got home that night. And uh, as I started reflecting on our conversation, I realized some things about myself that I needed to work on. And him opening up and sharing what he had been through just allowed me to reflect on myself. And since then... I've been on kind of this journey of discovery just about myself and and uh, some personal things that I've I've been working on because of him. This past week, uh, he and I met up again and had a long, wonderful conversation, and it has created a bond between us that is so strong. I just consider him one of my closest friends, and I'm so grateful for him. And I wonder how many times I know I have felt, hey, I should share something with someone else, and then it kind of well, um, what if they don't want to hear it? And we start to second guess it. And I would just say that when the Spirit uh, tells us that we should do something, gosh, we should do it. The lives that we can bless. And sometimes we may not know it in the moment. Like I said, when my friend got finished sharing with me afterward, he said, I have no clue why I felt I should share that with you. But the blessing it has been in my life has been just tremendous. So when we get those feelings, we should really open up and share. And I'm praying to have those experiences every day. And I'm thankful for my friends. And I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. Again, I want to thank uh, you all every week for listening. Again, our, our show just 
It keeps growing and growing, and we're so grateful for that. If you enjoy it and get a chance to share it, we would sure appreciate it. Share it on social media, or maybe uh, tell a friend, a coworker, someone at church about it. It's wonderful. You are our only source of advertising, and we truly appreciate it. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and once again at latterdaylives.com. And you can reach out to me, Sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. So thanks again. It was a wonderful show, and we will have uh, another great show for you next week, so be sure to tune in for that. But until then, please remember, as every week, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.